You ready? Yep. How about you? Yep. Start it up. Van Talk, brought to you by the Big Red Van. Each week, the guys address all angles of one topic with cultural relevance. This week, they discuss the upcoming holiday, Columbus Day. How did Christopher Columbus come to be who he was? What did he do once he got here? And who really discovered America? Spoiler, it's not what they teach you in school. This is the Big Red Van. out our ride with something that we think is relevant upcoming holiday columbus day columbus day so it's gonna make us take a van top van top dive into columbus and everything columbus from who he was to uh who he was to his travels and everything from it <laughs> i like how you put that who he was to who he was yeah you're damn right so <laughs> here we go and we're gonna have a typical van top approach van top. three pronged you know, approach to it. So here we go. Malcolm, you're going to start us off with some, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. So Christopher Columbus was actually born, Italian born navigator sailing from the crown of Castile in search of a westward route to Asia to access the sources of spices and other Oriental goods, um, which ended up leading to the discovery of new world between Europe and Asia. All right. So something that's pretty cool. I don't mean to jump in after your first sentence. Yeah, go but, for it. Um, remember when we talked about the Silk Road? Yeah. Like not the Silk Road online buy drugs with Bitcoin. Silk no, but Road. Silk Road travel, the road. trading route. Yeah. So the reason that he went water, as opposed to land route, mm-hmm. the the reason water was apparently something they had to do was because the fall of Constantine. Is that mm-hmm. right, Hayden? The Turkish Empire. Yeah, the Turkish Empire. And then it became like the Wild West going down the Silk Road, so it was more dangerous to travel to Asia to get your spices and your furs or whatever than it was to try and sail around the world. Yeah. That's you're jumping the gun. All right. Am I? Yeah, you are jumping the gun. Oh, well, shit. (laughs) You're good, though. It's all right. Sentence number two. All right. (laughs) So he made a total of four voyages to the Americas between 1492, the date that everyone should know, Mm -hmm. and 1502, setting the stage for the European exploration and colonization of the Americas, ultimately what led to the Columbian Exchange. Um, Okay, so to get funded, though, he needed for his first journey, he proposed the king equip three sturdy ships and grant him one year's time to sail out west into the Atlantic, search for um, western route to India. So, Columbus also requested that he be made great admiral of the ocean sea, appointed Mm. governor of any and all lands he discovered, and be given one-tenth of all revenue from those lands. Hmm. It's very interesting. Already greedy from the start. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, the king submitted the proposal to his exer- experts, who rejected it after several years. It was their cons- it was their considered opinion that Columbus's estimation of a travel distance of twenty four hundred miles was, in fact, far too short. Well, you know why? It's because they knew it was a long ass ways around to China. Mm. 
they knew it was a long ways. And he was saying he was going to only need 2,400 miles before he gets there. And they were smart enough to know, bro, that's it's a lot farther to China. We ain't giving you money for that. Yeah. Mm. Might as well just flush it down the toilet. Wait. (laughs) Because nobody knew America was there yet. So, you know, but... So, in 1488, Columbus appealed to the court of Portugal, receiving a new invitation for an audience with King John II. This was also unsuccessful because not long afterwards, Bartolomeu Diaz, I guess, returned to Portugal following a successful rounding of the southern tip of Africa. Um, With an eastern sea route, no... Now, under its control, Portugal was no longer interested in trailblazing a western trader to Asia, crossing unknown seas. Um, Columbus traveled from Portugal to Castile to convince the Catholic monarchs of Castile and Aragon to pay for the expedition. Um, the, the Catholic monarchs were King Ferdinand II of Aragon, who was married to Queen Isabella I of Castile in 1496. Isabella was the queen I was thinking of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, by them two being married, it united the two largest kingdoms into what would be later called the Spanish crown. Um, and they ruled their kingdoms independently, but had common internal and foreign policies. Columbus was granted an audience with them on May 1st of 1489. He presented his plans to Queen Isabella, who referred them to a committee. Um, they pronounced the idea impractical and invited impractical and advised the monarchs not to support the proposed venture um but after continually asking and begging and pleading and whatnot for the monarchs to support his plan at the royal court and enduring two years of negotiations columbus finally succeeded in january 1492 um queen isabel's forces had just conquered granada the last muslim stronghold of on the iberian peninsula for castile Isabella and Ferdinand received Columbus in the Cordoba to support his plans. Um, the monarchs left it to the royal treasurer to shift funds among various royal accounts on behalf of the enterprise. Columbus was to be made Admiral of the Seas. So they were just digging around trying to find as much find money, money as they before could. they could. Yeah, they, yeah. they just won themselves a nice, nice big battle and probably got a bunch of booty from it. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? Go ahead. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so he ended up being made Admiral of the Seas and would receive a portion of all profits. The terms were unusually generous, but as his son later wrote, the monarchs were not confident of his return. So they were granting him all this stuff, not thinking that he's going to uh, make it back. He's just going to die out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is why they didn't mind. Um, at the time, Europe had long enjoyed a safe land passage to China and India, which is what you're talking about, obtaining sources of valued goods such as silk, spices, and all that good stuff. Um, but like you said, with the fall of Constantinople... To oh, the Turkish... Constantinople. I yeah. said Constantine. Okay. With the fall of Constantinople to the Turkish Ottoman Empire in 1453, the land route to Asia became more difficult. Um, in response to this, though, the Columbus brothers had, by the 1480s, developed a plan to travel to the Indies. They construed roughly as all of the southern and eastern Asia by sailing directly west across what was believed to be the singular ocean sea, the Atlantic Ocean. So they're not seeing <clears throat> anywhere on their map a, a landmass or a 
Pacific yeah, they didn't think there Ocean. was anything in between. Correct. Yeah. They thought it was straight to China. Um, Washington Irving's 1828 biography of Columbus popularized the idea that Columbus had difficulty obtaining support for his plan because Europeans thought the Earth was flat. In fact, the primitive maritime navigation of the time um, relied on the stars and the curvature of the Earth. The knowledge that the Earth was spherical was widespread, and the means of calculating its diameter using an astrolabe was known to both scholars and navigators. They already knew. Yeah, I mean, they've been sailing with direction of the stars Mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. So that's... They had to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no way that they move that way on a flat surface. Right. Um, Columbus now, with his funding he required, set sail on August 3rd of 1492, leaving port at 8 a.m. with three ships famously known. I don't even know how we figured out time of day. 8 a.m.? That's just what it says on record. Yeah. The history book says 8 a.m. So I'm The morning. Yeah. That morning. So morning time. Right after sunup. Um, <laughs> you know the name of the ships, Wade? The Pinta, the Nina, and the Santa Maria? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh they nicknamed one of the they nicknamed the one Santa Clara the Nina. The flagship that Columbus was on was nicknamed by Columbus as the La Capitan. Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> what a j- La Anyways. Capitan. That was the Santa Maria? That was the La Capitan? I want to say that was. Okay, yeah. It yeah. probably was. I believe so. Um, another interesting fact is that the pin- Pinta was also just a nickname and that the official name of the ship is lost to history. Um, on 13th so of September... So it's the Pinta. <laughs> <laughs> That's what just it the is. Pinta. Yeah. On the 13th of September in 1492, um, Columbus observed that the needle of his compass no longer pointed to the North Star. The needle instead had varied a half point to the northwest and continued to vary further as the journey progressed. Columbus at first made no mention of this, knowing his crew to be prone to panic with their destination unknown, but after several days his pilots took notice with much anxiety. So I'm thinking that Columbus probably didn't notice this, and that his pilots actually noticed before him, but <laughs> he's saying that he noticed. Anyways. That seems to be a trend. Yeah. Allegedly. The- so, so, I think what what you're meaning is, like, as he crossed the ocean, and obviously the North Pole yes. changes direction as you go across it's the ocean. It's still pointing towards the North Pole. But they didn't Pole, know that because they, they hadn't thinking. gone that distance before. Yes. Okay. I got you. Of course, he said he found out first, yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Allegedly, the crew grew so homesick and fearful that they threatened to sail back to Spain. Columbus reasoned that the needle did not point to the North Star, but to some invisible point on the Earth. His reputation as an astronomer held weight with the crew, and his theory alleviated their alarm. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was one... Some imaginary force has taken my compass, Yeah, y'all. Just chill. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it was once believed that Columbus had discovered magnetic declina- declination, but it was later shown that the phenomenon was already known both in Europe and in China. Um, then in October, after approximately 11 weeks at sea, they landed in the Caribbean. It is also theorized that Columbus would have landed in the Car- Caribbean whether he was trying to or not due to the tropical currents that connect in the area that would have ultimately pushed them into the Gulf. Um, Spain, 
Portugal and other European kingdoms ended up sending expeditions and established colonies throughout the New World, converted the native inhabitants to Christianity, and built large trade networks across the Atlantic, which introduced new plants, animals, and food crops to both continents. So now everyone's starting to settle in the area and whatnot. Um, the search for a westward route to Asia continued in 1513 when Vasco Nunez del Balboa crossed the narrow isthmus of Panama to become the first European to sight the Pacific Ocean. The search was completed in 1521 when the Castilian Magellan expedition sailed across the Pacific and reached Southeast Asia, which is what we were talking about a little bit off air but ultimately completing what Columbus was actually trying to do. Um, so they ended up making it to Asia, which Columbus really was trying to get to Asia, but ended up landing in the Caribbean. Um, and it was Castile and Magellan who made it across. And he made it across the Pacific, which they were trying to go across the Atlantic and get there, not knowing. Um, meaning technically Columbus never actually came through on his deal of discovering a western route to Asia. But once he landed in America, obviously, Nothing craziness happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and craziness starts to happen with him and the native people, which I believe is what you're about to get into. Oh, my gosh. So, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it goes. I think you said something like that. So everyone knows that because they teach us that in school. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, they taught you that in first, second, third grade whenever they tell you about mm -hmm. that discovery of America, America Vespucci, and all that stuff. America! Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, not only that, but there are 54 communities named after Columbus, including the District of Columbia. Hail Columbia was the United States' unofficial national, unofficial national anthem until 1931. Hmm. Like I mentioned in the lead-in that Columbus Day is federal holiday. It's the second Monday in October of every year. Despite all of this, historians recently have begun to tear down the Columbus myth that he discovered America and that he he's the one that proved that the world was not flat. Fact is that the world already knew that the world wasn't flat for more than a <laughs> millennium Yeah, before Columbus's time. Sounds about right. So if I could pronounce... The, Estathocene or Estoth Estoth Oh wow, that sounds right. Estothenes, Estothenes. I think is the name of the philosopher that ultimately figured out that the world was round. Oh, okay. okay. And okay. estimated it, and was actually really close. You know, with his estimations. Yeah. So I, I butchered his name, but it's something like that. Uh, so anyway, and that was a hundred, two hundred years before Columbus was even alive. So either way, um, scholars had a pretty good idea of what the circumference of the Earth's Earth was, which was part of the descent against Columbus making his trip. Like, you talked about that, you know, knowledge being, we know it's further than 2,400 miles. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you're crazy. So Columbus thought Asia was bigger than it is, and the world is much smaller than it was. So if you go back and you look at any maps from Columbus's time, Pretty, they're pretty interesting the way mm -hmm. that they have the land masses drawn and things like that because if you hear anything referred to as the indies in our time tonight they're referring to basically all of asia yeah. like all of asia was the indies mm -hmm. so it was just kind of different to the way that we think about it but 
Um, some of these facts that were taught in high school, quote unquote, they're just not true or they're just half true. Um, Columbus sailed the ocean blue to look for wealth. Unofficially, he sailed it in the name of Christianity yeah. to spread the spread Christianity. What he did, though, mostly, was enslave and rape the natives that he met. <laughs> he sold girls, mm. some of them as young as nine, and this is by his own account in his journal, into prostitution, committed numerous acts that were so heinous that he was forcibly removed from power and sent back to Spain in chains. So how many of y'all knew that about him? Christopher Columbus was brutal, even by the standards of his age. Leading Bart de la Casa, it's Bartolome, I think it's Bartolome. It's not Bartolomeu, but I'm just going to call him Bart. Okay. Bart de de las Casa, who who accompanied Columbus on voyages, wrote in a journal, a journal or a book, it's called The History of the Indies, quote, such inhumanities and barbarisms were committed in my sight as no age can parallel. Hmm. My no. eyes have seen these acts so foreign to human nature that I now tremble as I write. Fifteen hmm. hundreds. <laughs> In August of 1492, Columbus departed Spain after two months on the high seas. Land was spotted. Now, before they left, Ferdinand and Isabella, king and queen, had promised whoever spotted land first a reward of a jacket, a silk jacket, and an annuity of 10,000 Maravedis. I think Maravedis were the money of the times. Right. Th- and and an, an annuity of 10,000. So you get the annuity thing that Jared from Bobby Bonilla Day explained to us that it's <laughs> once every year. So in a, a payment every year of 10,000 of these. And of course, in that time, that's incredible. Incredible wealth. Mm-hmm. So the lookout on the Pinta was a guy named Rodrigo de triana and he was the first to spot land legitimately the first one to see it he shouted to the rest of the crew down below the pinta's camp captain announced the discovery with cannon fire when it came time to receive the reward the the reward though columbus claimed he actually saw a light in the distance several hours prior to dude's shout but it was so quote indistinct that i did not dare affirm it was land the reward was given to Columbus. <laughs> of course so it was. Dirt bag. <laughs> Upon landing on the island, which he would call San Salvador, which is the present-day Bahamas, Columbus immediately went to work finding gold and enslaving the native populations. Specifically, Columbus, upon seeing the Arawaks, who are the people of the region, come out of the forests, frightened of the men with swords, but bearing gifts, he wrote in his journal. Quoted from his journal... Quote, they do not bear arms and do not and do not know them. For I showed them a sword, they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They would make fine servants. With fifty men we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. My goodness. Columbus quickly took advantage of this, seeing that they wore gold studs in their ears, he rounded up a number of arrowwacks. And he had led them to where, and had them lead him to where gold was. The journey took them to present-day Cuba and Haiti, which Columbus still thought was Asia, where they found specks of gold in the river, but no enormous quote-unquote fields that Columbus was expecting. Nonetheless, he wrote back to Spain saying there are many spices and great mines of gold and other metals. This report earned him financing for a second voyage. Uh, so he lied. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, is it surprise up to this point? <laughs> <laughs> so he's got his financing for a second trip, this time with 13 ships and 1,200 men. So his finding of gold mines and all that was all they needed mm-hmm. for him to get what, whatever he wanted. So, And all these people are joining him because they're thinking they're getting part of that loot. Yeah. Well, check this out. He never ended up filling any of those 13 ships with gold. Hmm. But he filled them with another quote-unquote currency that would have a horrendous effect on the world from that point forward. Slaves. Yeah, I was about to say. So in 1495, Columbus came back to arrived back in the New World and immediately took 1,500 Arawaks as prisoners. Of those 1,500, he picked 500 to be shipped back to Spain as slaves. About 200 or so died on the journey back, starting the transatlantic slave trade. So how many people that talk about Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492 know that he started the transatlantic slave trade? Probably not many. The rest were forced to find what little gold existed in the region. So they were the just slaves, mining slaves. According to noted historian Howard Zinn, Howard Zinn is a crazy historian, by the way. Mm. You find some incredibly mm. off-color things from Howard Zinn. Um, anyone over 14 had to meet a gold quota. If they didn't find enough gold, they would have their hands cut off. Hmm. Eventually, when it was realized there wasn't much... That'll, that'll make them find some more gold. Yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> Eventually, when it was realized there wasn't much gold in the region, so they're basically just... Prob- I can imagine just cutting people's hands off because there just is no gold to find. Right. It's not that they're not finding it or doing their jobs. They're just not there. Mm-hmm. Columbus and his men just took the rest of the slaves and, slaves and put them to work on their newly established estates in the regions. So, of course, they took over all the land and stuff, too. Many natives died and their numbers dwindled. In the 15th century, modern historians believe that there were about 300,000 Arawaks. By 1515, there were only 50,000. Hmm. By 1531, 600. And by 1650, there were no longer any full-blooded Arawaks left on the islands. So in less than 150 years, their civilization and their people were totally wiped off the earth. By Christopher Columbus. What a hero. The way Columbus and his men treated the women and children of these populations was even worse. He routinely used the raping of women as a reward for his lieutenants. For example, here's an account from one of Columbus's friends and compatriots, Michel de Cuneo, who accompanied Columbus on his journey to the New World on what Michel did to a native woman. He wrote, While I was in a boat, I captured a very beautiful Caribbean woman whom the said Lord Admiral Columbus gave to me, and with whom, having taken her into my cabin, she being naked according to their custom, I desired to take pleasure. I wanted to put my desire into execution, but she did not want it, and she treated treated me with her fingernails in such a manner that I wished I had never begun. But seeing that, I took a rope and thrashed her well, for which she raised such unheard of scream that you would not have believed your ears. Finally, we came to an agreement in such a manner that I can tell you that she seemed to have been brought up in a school of whores. As well in the 1500s in Columbus's journal contained this quote as well. Jesus, this is terrible. A hundred Castellanos are so easily obtained for a woman as for a farm. It is very general, and there are plenty of dealers who go about looking for girls. 
those from 9 to 10 are now in demand. So word of these atrocities finally make their way back to Spain. Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand ordered Francisco de Bobadilla to investigate the troubles that Columbus was causing in the New World. Francisco's results were laid out in a 48-page document he presented to the king and queen. One of the more heinous things documented was a woman who spoke ill of Columbus who was punished by stripping her naked and tying her to a mule. The mule was then led around town, shaming her, and when her trip was over, her tongue was cut out. The punishment was actually carried out by Christopher's brother, Bartolome Columbus, to which Christopher gave praise for the act, commenting that he defended their family's honor by punishing the woman. Holy shit. What a monster. So when Francisco's report was given to the king and queen, they ordered Columbus arrested and returned to Spain. Even though Columbus was removed from duty, the Spaniards continued his policy of enslavement and violence. In 1552, Spanish historian and friar Bartolome de las Casas, guy I mentioned earlier, published multiple volumes under the title The History of the Indies. In it, he described the collapse of the non-European population. He writes that when men were captured and forced to work in mines looking for gold, rarely if ever returning home, it significantly impacted the birth rate. If a woman did give birth, she would be so she so overworked herself and malnourished that she often could not produce enough milk for the baby. He even reported that some of the women drowned their own babies from sheer desperation. Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> Yay, we get a day off of work. My uh, goodness. Um so yeah, Every year, Americans get a day off of work to celebrate Columbus Day. It's an annual holiday that commemorates that day on October 12, 1492, when the Italian explorer Christopher Columbus officially set foot in the Americas and claimed that land for Spain. It's been a national holiday, I believe you said earlier, since 1937, right? 31. 31. Sorry. Um, It's commonly said that Columbus discovered America, quote-unquote. Um, It would be more accurate, perhaps, to say that he introduced the Americas to Western Europe. Um, During his four voyages to the region between 1492 and 1502, it's safe to say that he paved a way for the massive influx of Western Europeans that would ultimately form several new nations, including the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So, of Mm -hmm. course, those nations would not be what they are without this. So we are here because of it, but that's neither here nor there. The land that Columbus discovered was actually occupied upon arrival. Columbus thought them to be East Asians or Indians due to their darker skin or hue of uh, darker hue of skin color. So the term Indians was dubbed as their name. Later, after realizing that they were not in India, the term West Indies was adopted. And to this day, for whatever reason, and I don't understand, this is one of those questions I've been asking myself forever: is why do people still say Indians? when they're talking about Native Americans, but I don't get it. Mm. I just don't get it. Um, But they're still occasionally referred to as Indians. So, uh, but long before Columbus met the people in North America, there were many nations of people stretching back for centuries. Um, As far as archaeology and anthropology studies have revealed, the first people to visit North America were Northern Asian people from Siberia and Northern China, they walked across the Bering Land Bridge um, that back in the day connected what is now the U.S. state of Alaska and Siberia 
in Russia. 15,000 years ago, ocean levels were much lower, and the land between the continents was hundreds of kilometers wide. Right. Um, Also at the time, the world was much colder, allowing huge amounts of ice to build up on the Bering Land Bridge, making it a huge amount of land connecting the two continents. Um, Archaeologists say that humans followed in a never-ending hunt for food, water, and shelter. And once they were here, humans dispersed all across North America, eventually Central and South America as well. So I actually watched this, uh, about the next thing I'm going to talk about, I watched this cool Discovery Channel documentary on this, and it was so awesome, like the way they explained it, but I'm going to do my best. Um, But one of the things that they, that research believes that something helped drive the conquest from East, from the ancient people, is that the ice buildup and like the arid environment that was across that ice. Cause of course it was very cold. So, you know, arid is still a thing, even if there's ice. Um, but the environment caused a very powerful, like mirage type of effect from the East. So you could imagine yourself standing in Siberia, looking to the East towards Alaska and just seeing a huge sheet of ice as far as you can see. But there's an, aura coming across the top of the ice and it was actually an aura in the shape of mountains um and so the way the way that worked the curvature of the earth and the light being refracted off of that that cold air was like causing some sort of effect with the bending of the light across the earth and you could actually see the aleutian mountain range over the horizon which is in alaska mm-hmm. um Home to the Aleut people yep yeah. And so the distance was, of course, much too far to see normally, but this mirage effect being present made the people seeing it think that it was much closer than it seemed. And so, with the never-ending search for food and animals like I talked about, the the mountains were very appealing, driving them east to these alluring unknown mountains beyond, which was what they think why so many people wanted to come over the land bridge. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, I remember re- or learning about the the Bering Land Bridge, Bering Strait, right? Yeah, yeah. The and how cool that was, and how impactful that was for. I guess it would be going east for them, right? You know, <laughs> Eastern exploration or Western exploration, whatever you want to call it. Um, but up until the 1970s, these first Americans had a name called the Clovis people. Uh, they Clovis. get yeah yeah they get their name from an ancient settlement discovered near Clovis, New Mexico, that's dated at eleven thousand years ago, um, and DNA suggests that they are the direct ancestors of nearly eighty percent of all indigenous people in America. So, hmm. uh, currently, the Native Americans' closest modern genetic similarity is actually to Mongolians, Northern Chinese people, um, and also very closely related to. Um, Pacific Islanders. Uh, like, an, like Moana. Like Moana. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um, this was. This is also one of my favorite ones that I think is very cool. This is another... This is an emerging theory that doesn't really have a ton of evidence yet. Um, just a lot of circumstantial evidence, I guess you could say. But, but you like it? I like it. I think it's really cool. Okay. So another emerging theory is the potential dating back to 20,000 years ago. Um. At the time, the amount of Arctic ice in the Arctic Circle would have extended very far south, touching Greenland, Iceland, and the Nordic Nordic coast of Northern Europe. And there's thought that some of the people that settled North America actually came from an ancient Europe, but they actually came across from the east 
to the west right across the atlantic when it was totally frozen crossing ice to get here there's a really cool i wish i don't remember the name of it but there's this really cool rock structure i believe it's in pennsylvania that's like mega 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 old like they like pushing like the twenty thousand year mark um that they have no idea who made it it's just been there forever it's like a megalithic structure of like just all these and it's like perfectly in tune with the solstice and all sorts of really neat things um but they think that these people might have been had something to do with that recently found or has it been around for it's been around a little while but it's uh never heard of this thing um it's really cool it's it's one of those things like um there's people that say it, it's not that old. It had to have just been a few hundred years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. They probably think it's like 20. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of that, that that's against it. Um, well, those shitheads down the block did that two years ago. <laughs> Another fact about this is this is where I'd like to really get fun. So what about the fact that Columbus gets credit for discovering North America for Europe? Yeah, that is interesting. Nope. There is definite, definite, definite proof that Europeans visited what is now Canada about 500 years before Columbus. Those people were the Vikings. Yeah, what was his name? Uh, Leif Erikson. Leif Erikson, that's Mm. right. Their presence can be found on the Canadian province of Newfoundland at a place called, and this is in French, so I'm going to do my best, Lance Humedou, and it's a French word of the meadows. Okay. (laughs) Um, it's now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and can, so you know it's legit, uh, and consists of the remains of eight buildings that were likely wooden structures covered with grass and soil, grass and soil, and the same manner of how Vikings built their, uh, I forget the word they use, their big houses, okay. we'll call it that. Um, today the area is barren, but a thousand years ago there were trees everywhere, and the area likely was used as a winter stopover point where Vikings repaired their boats and set out bad weather. It is not quite clear if the area was a permanent settlement, but it is clear that the expansion-minded Norsemen were here long before Columbus, and with their extreme ability to navigate oceanic waters and their ability to take the same boats they crossed the ocean into river systems, they were the perfect candidates for discovery. Wait, they could take their boats down rivers? You didn't know that? No, they're big Viking boats? They're not as big as you think. They're actually pretty small. Like They're like... 20 man ships hmm. um and yeah Other dude they're maneuverable the sail sails and rowing yeah they use boats that's why they were so fast so maneuverable like dude they were killing it on the boats hmm. they but yeah they could take their down the fjord and they could sail their boats wherever so it's actually cool. how they conquered parts of uh england was sailing up the river into the to the castles it was crazy. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, you'd never think that would be an issue because most ships of the day were like ships like you would think, the Nina Penta Santa Marina, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not boats where people could just... Like Viking warships. I'm thinking like a pirate warship. You yeah, know? no. Vikings were on little boats. Mm-hmm. Little, fast boats. They'd crash up on you and then 20 dudes with axes would come over your... <laughs> Cut your head <laughs> Over off. your sides of your boat. Yeah. Um, so there's another little cool thing, and this is one. This is controversial, so this is not this is not a fact. Um, but there are also some fragments of evidence that Vikings made it even as far across um, and more south of North America. Obviously, the famous Minnesota Vikings, uh, 
get their name from this the discovery by a farmer in Kensington, Minnesota, who found a Viking rune stone on his land that was unearthed when a tree was blown over, revealing the stone twisted up in its roots. Hmm. Nice. Uh, the stone was inscripted with Norse rune symbols, but was never really determined if it was real or fake. Um, from all the reading I've done about it, like basically the controversy is it is an old stone. It's an old Ice Age, not Ice Age, but um, it's an old rock. So either it's the person that forged it found the old rock and then decided to carve into it. Um, but either way, it has all these Norse symbols on it, and it was in the middle of Minnesota. Right. So, um, and it had obviously been in the ground long enough for a tree to grow around it. So either they were there with it or somebody traded for it and brought it back and lost it. Like Correct. a Native American or somebody. Maybe. Something right. along those. No, but it's big rock. 200 pounds. Sorry, I forgot to leave include that. Yeah, maybe not. But twisted up in a, <laughs> twisted up in a tree in its roots. So it's hard to, you know... If you're going to make a forgery, how do you get it in the root system of a tree is a good question to ask. You know, so I don't know. It's up in the air. They don't have a definitive answer whether it's 100% real or if it's a forgery, but still an interesting piece of evidence that's maybe real, maybe not. Another cool one, and this is all the end of what I've got, is there's another controversial piece of evidence that's still in debate of its validity, it's called the Vinland map, um, which is a 15th century map of Europe that maps out the journey of Leif Erikson. Um, it shows his journey to North America 500 years prior to Columbus, laying out Greenland, Iceland, Northern Africa, and another piece of land further west that eerily looks like the coast of Newfoundland and North America's upper coast. And on the map, it's basically... Maine, New York, Maryland, all that whole coast is is on the map, visible, and you can see the detail of of what it is. Like you could definitely see that that's what they're drawing, um, and it's labeled Vinland to the Vikings. Hmm. So again, it's one of those things. Is the map one hundred percent real? There's some people that say it is. There's some people that are skeptical. There's not a been a definitive answer like for example Yale University did a research about it and they're like a no comment is where they are. So what is the big what's the skin in the game for keeping Columbus's reputation? I don't know I really don't know I almost this is me going to be getting a little little crazy here but I almost feel like it's like Jim Crow era like like the white man made this land this is hmm. like Europeans own this place. We discovered it. It's ours. It's mine. But were Vikings not white Europeans? Yeah, but that was also something they had. They didn't know happened. I guess is a good way of putting that. The Spaniards didn't have in their records that Vikings had already been there, and nobody had discovered the uh, Lanso Medu. Like, oh yeah. So it's, I mean, I guess it's pretty par for the course for powerful white people to not be able to modify their ways. Right. But, but I guess but in 1931 was still ripe of Jim Crow era stuff, making federal holidays that celebrate white discovery of America, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really doubt that they had much knowledge on the Vikings, though, in 1931. Yeah, they, of course they didn't. So, I mean, I guess what's, I don't know, what's stopping us now from 
truly understanding well that there's a big difference between 992 and 1492 yeah when it comes to discovering things mm-hmm. so or just the fact that people already lived here correct you can't, well not, i always questioned that people when I was discovered a kid. antarctica nobody nobody lived in antarctica but somebody discovered it because nobody had been there before. So, well, I honestly remember thinking as a kid, as a question about how could Columbus discover America when there were Native Americans here when he got here. <laughs> so he didn't. Dis- there were already people here, so he didn't discover it. He just had the means to tell people about it. Correct. That's mm. all he did. He he discovered it for Europeans. He had the means to tell people there was land there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I don't know that the Native Americans had much, many means to tell a bunch of outsiders, hey, we're here. Yeah. You know, or a want to. So it's just been total, let's just pass it over people's heads, like a lot of other things in history. Um, just hiding directly in plain sight. To your point, what you said about what do we do about it, there are actually several states, uh, California being one of them that have officially denounced it as a federal holiday and have renamed the holiday um, the Day of Native People's Day. Um, hmm. Where they California celebrate... being a super progressive, that right. makes sense. But, I mean, that makes more sense to me. Like, we have Independence Day. We have, you know, we have the day that we started our, our country here, okay? But the day that the this land was discovered being celebrated as a federal holiday. Like give that day back to the people that lived here before we got here. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I don't think there's any need for a day to celebrate the, the uh, sighting of the land of land. Right. Like, I just don't think that that's a reason to be off work. (laughs) No, don't get me wrong. Please. I would love that. (laughs) Don't take away our payday. (laughs) I'm just, but, um, but change it to a different name. Change it, change it to a different name. Native People Day, I think, is a great one. Celebrate them instead of him. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that too. You got anything else? I think it's the perfect time for us to be talking like a guy like Columbus, though, um, <clears throat> because he also has some statues around this country that, if I don't know, if someone decides to bring this to light, maybe his is. Uh, his statues are just as good enough to come down like all the other Confederate leaders. Maybe. Man, Pendulet, you know Pendulet from Penn and Teller. Uh, he said this, and he said, "Take them all down." George Washington, take them down. Like Thomas, all of them. Any statue of anybody we've got, take them down, because they're not the people that we should be worship. Like we we shouldn't be worshiping a man. We should be honoring the ideas like the the mm. constitution itself not mm. not the man a, a man didn't do it all we Agreed. as a nation are what make it is make it happen not a man just like you shouldn't worship a president you know it's take them all down so i guess why it, are they important i guess it kind of depends on what you use a statue for yeah if you use a statue for worship or if you use a statue for remembrance and history yeah. well even the founding fathers that we adore they owned slaves they were all pieces of shit in their own way too you know nobody is perfect like that's not about what we should be about correct take them I, down i i guess that's you're on the take them down 
Sure. I mean, why do we need them? I'm I'm on the why do we need to try to erase anything, but why do we try to ignore anything? Hmm. So why not instead of tearing down statues, build more statues? Well, build more I, I, statues I, I, of different characters. A big misconception about the removal of a lot of those Confederate statues, though, was that they were just getting destroyed. There were people were maliciously destroying them. Don't get me wrong, but majority of them were going into their local museum. They weren't getting destroyed or dismantled or taken down like to be tossed away. They were just go, going where they should be. In a, right. I mean, but again, a lot of the uproar was because they thought that they were being erased i don't know how putting you, know? you in a museum erases you but yeah. you know moving I mean? you from one place to another regardless of where you're going right people you're getting moved against your will people are going to resist yeah so um why why even do that why not just build a new one why not just have more statues of the people of color that have done great things in founding this country why instead of tearing down statues of anything else Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's the history of this country. Right. It's the same way I feel about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Let Pete Rose's ass in and have a big wing of the history of the game of baseball. The history of the game of baseball can't be written without Pete Rose, just like the history of the United States can't be written without slavery and then all of the great black people that helped us go through the civil rights movement. So why not have statues of all of them? Yeah. I mean, it's just... I don't want statues of racist bigots and all that stuff, but I also don't think that I, the history of this country needs to be glossed over or textbookized or freaking Christopher Columbus for my kids. Hmm. Yeah. I would rather that Macy and Cole got the straight story than have to worry about thinking that the removal of some statue of somebody is truly significant. Yeah. So. I think it it starts in school, though. I mean, I know for a fact I didn't learn any of that rougher stuff, I guess you could call it, if you want to put it in quotes, in school, period. Didn't learn about any of it. Probably because of the the nature. Right, but even even in high school and stuff, where you're old enough to hear about somebody killing people, like, you know, they still don't teach it to you. It's totally left out. You get to hear about all the slave trade and all that other stuff, but they don't specifically mention that it started with him. Right. Like, they don't really bring that detail to light. At least my school system didn't. No, because the teacher's got his day off of work. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. That was good stuff. Yeah, that's informative and opinionated. Our kind yeah. of our kind of van. I mean, let's be honest here. All we did, we might have an opinion, but all we did was lay out some facts. And you can either say, yeah, that guy's great. Or you can derive your own conclusion. It's true. I didn't make up any of those uh, journal entries, that's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) That was not my ad-libbing. So, and once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us for all of episode 22. We've appreciated it, every single bit of it. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. We'll catch you on the next one. (laughs) 